You're listening to the Assembly Call IU podcast and postgame show, the place where Indiana fans across the globe hang out online after every IU basketball game. Join us for our live broadcasts on Thursday nights and immediately following every IU game at our website, assemblycall.com. That's assemblycall.com. Welcome to this special edition episode of the Assembly Call. I'm really excited to be able to bring you this conversation with Mark Titus, who, if you don't know him, you probably do if you're listening to this podcast. But if you don't know Mark, uh, he was a walk-on at Ohio State. He grew up an Indiana fan, though. Um, And so he has a really unique perspective on Indiana basketball, on Ohio State. So obviously, with the game against Ohio State coming up this weekend, I thought it was a perfect time to bring him on, get his thoughts on the Hoosiers, get his thoughts for Archie Miller, who he played for uh, at Ohio State. Archie was an assistant when Mark uh, was a walk-on at Ohio State. Uh, And Mark, of course, now the host of the very popular One Shining Podcast, which is another college basketball podcast that I highly recommend that you listen to. So really, really appreciative of Mark for taking the time. I think you'll enjoy this conversation, insightful and funny, which is exactly what you would expect from Mark. So that is coming up here in just a second. Before we get to that, though, I do want to just spend a couple minutes telling you about our sponsor for this episode, and that is our friends at Comfort Option. And you've probably heard me talking about Comfort Option uh, on you know episodes of Assembly Call Radio over the last several months. And we're really excited to have them as a sponsor. You know, one of the main reasons is because they're Hoosiers just like us. You know, three third generation uh, IU fans, uh, you know, cheered for the Hoosiers, went to Indiana, uh, and they're really proud to serve the Indiana community. And so there's a couple things that they do that are really interesting. One is they have an in-home mattress store to your door, door service that if you live in Bloomington or Indianapolis, you can schedule a time and they will come out there and custom fit a mattress just for you and you know let you try it out and work with you on it and make sure that it's the right fit. And they have a 30-90 satisfaction guarantee on all of it. So if you get it and you're not satisfied with it, they'll come out, redo it, and if it's still not to your liking, they'll refund your money entirely. Now, if you're not in Bloomington or Indianapolis, that is okay because they have an alpha mattress And they produce this themselves, and they ship it direct. So that's part of the reason why it costs less than what you might expect, because they can eliminate the middleman. But you can go on their website and customize it to your liking. They will ship it anywhere in the United States, and that same 30-90 satisfaction guarantee still applies. So check out Comfort Option. If you use the promo code ASSEMBLY, you will get $50 off your purchase. Let them know that that we sent you here at the Assembly Call. Again, comfortoption.com, promo code ASSEMBLY at comfortoption.com. All right, now here is our conversation with Mark Titus. Enjoy. All right, I'm very pleased to be joined on this special edition episode of The Assembly Call by Mark Titus, host of One Shining Podcast, former walk-on at Ohio State, and a, a guy who grew up in Indiana, grew up an Indiana fan, so when we started uh, you know, approaching this Ohio State game, I can think of no one better to come on and talk about it and talk about the Hoosiers than you, Mark. So I appreciate you giving us some time this week. Yeah, it's, it's, it's great. It's, this is a game um, that, you know, most of the time when Ohio State's playing IU, I feel like I'm going to come away slightly happy and slightly sad. You know, like one of my teams is going to win, the other one's going to lose. The way both these seasons are going, I don't know. I think even winning is just kind of like, okay, so one of them, their season's not completely over at this point. Yeah, one of them will get a win. (laughs) It's it's been tough. It's been, especially that week, what was it like? 
I mean, as 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 IU was in the midst of a seven game losing streak, I think I, I think Ohio State's got up to five. I was losing count, man. There's but there was a period where I think like the two teams that I've cared about and and that I actually still can evoke emotion in me as I'm watching them play. I lost 12 straight combined. And I was like, what, what, what is this season of college? Meanwhile, Duke is like an unstoppable machine. I'm like, could this, and Kentucky's good again, and Purdue's winning. It's like, what are we doing here? This is, I know. It's good. It's like every, every rivalry I have is, this is unbelievable. So it is. Well, I, I want to get into all that. I wanted to start. I know, you know, I've told you this personally, but just, you know, for anybody who hasn't listened to One Shining Podcast, I highly recommend that you listen to it. Um, cause, and the thing that I like the most about it, and I just want to give you props for it, is, you know, somehow you and Tate are able to like clearly show respect and love for the sport of college basketball while balancing it with the showing the absurdity and the comedy of it all, which is kind of a tightrope to walk. And you guys do it really well. So I just yeah. wanted to commend you on that because it's really yeah. a good show. Thank you. I think the, the thing that we learned very quickly and, and um, I don't mean to attack the audience because uh, I'm really attacking myself when I say this, but people don't care about college basketball. And that's weird to me um, because I care about it. Like, it's all I care about. It's all that matters to me. I, I, I think college basketball year-round, uh, things that happen in the real world, I, I repurpose them as though it's college basketball. Um, that's just all I ever think about. But I've found that people care about their team, and that's all they care about. And if you're into college basketball, you care about your team. Uh, if you're not into college basketball, you're confused how anyone could like it because you're like, the NBA is better. The players are better. So why would anyone watch worse players? And it's kind of hard to explain to those people. So with the show, we realized like, instead of breaking down X's and O's and all that kind of stuff, people just want to hear about the absurdities anyway. Those are the shows that people seem to like is when, I mean, we just got done recording an episode. We talked about the Arizona, the Mark Schlebach article that he just wrote and how uh, the, the assistant coach was fired. Um, for, for forging the transcripts of Sharif O'Neal. And like that stuff is what people really want to hear is just like us making jokes about how corrupt like the NCAA basically is. And how, I mean, the NCAA, for God's sakes, like they just put out, they just put out something where they are now going to be reviewing the end of games. Even like the, the, this happened twice this week where um, there was a buzzer beater where the shot was clearly like still in the guy's hand after the shot was taken. Yeah. But, uh, it didn't affect the outcome of the game, but it did affect the spread and the gambling implications. So this happened twice. And in response, like people were losing their minds. And in response to the NCAA is like, well, we're going to start reviewing those shots. And the only reason you would do it is for gambling purposes. Yet the NCAA is like very, has historically been very anti-gambling. And like, we, we don't even want to believe that there's any money involved in any of these sports. So for them to like be on the nose about the gambling thing, be so brazen about that. But at the same time, like, try to pretend like it's all about student athletes and school first. It's like, what are we doing here? This, yeah. is, this is crazy. So anyway, that's a, that's a long winded way of saying that um, that's the kind of stuff we enjoy talking about more than anything else to be honest with you. It truly is hypocrisy and absurdity at every turn. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm glad, I'm glad that you guys lean into that. So the other show related question that I wanted to ask you, you guys do a, a segment called dirty laundry, which is hilarious yeah. where you read these anonymous stories that people send, send to you. So which of those stories so far has been about Indiana? Cause that's what everybody wants to know. What, what is my <laughs> best story about Indiana? No, which, which of those stories was about Indiana? Oh, have which you, one was about yeah. Indiana? Have you read any on the air that were about Indiana? Um, well, I, I mean, I, I obviously can't, <laughs> I know <laughs> um, there have been a few. It's mostly, so the problem with this is it's become um, it's mostly like we were at a party and we saw players getting drunk and 
Like those are, those were funny at first, but it's gotten to a point where it's like all sort of the same story. Yeah. And in the same way, like our podcast, we want to focus on the absurdities. My favorite stories are always the ones that have like no substances involved or um, that there's no like pursuing a woman involved, you know, like, cause that's like what all of them seem to be is I was at this party, this guy got drunk, then he went home with a woman. And it's like, okay, cool. That sounds like college, man. Um, yeah. You know? <laughs> So the, the, my favorite stories are just like weird, bizarre, like I was a manager and I forgot to do the laundry. And so the, the jerseys smelled really bad in this game or, you know, like something like that. That's just like off the beaten path. Those are the ones that I actually find funnier than the, uh, the ones that people think are going to um, be super scandalous at this point. So. Yeah, that's a, it's a funny segment. Um, so let's transition. Let's, let's talk about the team. And, and I want to start by talking about Archie, because I think one of the real unique perspectives that you bring to this, in addition to you know being an IU fan and an Ohio State fan, is you actually got to play for Archie. When you were a walk-on at Ohio State, Archie was a young assistant back then, and we had you on back when he was hired, and you you know gave us some insight on what that was like. So let's kind of let's rehash that a little bit, you know, for maybe people who missed that. But just give us your thoughts on you know what it was like to play for Archie and how. You know, yeah. what you've seen out of him now, you know, his first year and a half as a head coach in the Big Ten. So Archie was, and this is the story I'll tell everybody for the end of time, because it, it, for me, it never gets old. For some others, it might. But uh, he's the only coach I ever had in college who treated me like I was every other player. And um, looking back, like, I respect the hell out of him for that, that he he never once looked down on me and said, that guy's a walk-on. He's never, this guy is never going to matter to us in a game. Um, I don't really need to work him out, whatever. He always treated me like I was the national player of the year. And like, I got to get my shots up just like all the other guys. I got to be on time just like all the other guys. He held me accountable. Uh, but at the time it drove me nuts because he came in after I had started the club trillion thing. And like my brand was that I don't care anymore. Uh, that's what he came in and he started like, it was, it was, it was a culture shock for me for sure. Cause like, man, I was not prepared. He, he had me doing one-on-one. Uh, the, the best story was doing one-on-one full court with Danny Peters, who is currently an assistant coach at uh, Arizona. He's, he's on staff with Sean, with, with Archie's brother. Um, so he made us play one-on-one full court where after every shot, you have to now go shoot on the other basket. So like if, if I'm guarding Danny, if guard Danny's guarding me, I go for a layup and miss, I get my offensive rebound. I cannot take it back up. I now have to go dribble to the other side of the court and shoot it. And that doesn't sound like much, but if you like put yourself in that position, we played to like 15 baskets and oh my God, I was so tired. And I was like, why are you doing this to me? And uh, he just kind of said, he's like, I, you know, you never know when your time's going to come, all that kind of stuff. And at the time I hated that. But now that I've gotten older, I'm like, damn, that's, that's kind of awesome that he's like that. He's just like one track mind of like, just, I, I don't know. I, 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 I don't want to throw around analogies or whatever, but he just, he, he has a very business-like approach to it. Um, and it's very different from the approach that I would have if I was a coach. I would be a loose, fun-loving, just trying to be best friends with all the players. And I would probably be a bad coach because of that. Uh, <laughs> Archie is, like, just very disciplined. Um, not a yeller. Like, I, I don't remember him, like, you know, really giving it to us and, and, and losing his mind or anything. It was just, like, you have an expectation. If you're on this team, you're going to earn your spot on this team every single day. And um, – as a 20, 21 year old, I didn't always love that. But as a 31 year old looking back, I was like, yeah, that's probably the, the right call there. <laughs> that probably makes the most sense. Yeah. Now, he's obviously known as a defensive coach and has kind of built his brand and his reputation as a coach with defense and what he did at Dayton. And he certainly tried to instill that at IU. 
And I think because Indiana's offensives have struggled, especially this year when you have two guys like Juwan and Romeo, people have kind of wondered, like, you know, does this guy know how to coach offense? What, uh, what would be, what kind of be your response to that and just to how the first couple of years have gone at IU so far? So, uh, yeah, it, that's a fair thing. I think defense is definitely his calling card, but I think it's kind of, that's true of like every coach. Every coach has one side of the court that they're better at coaching. Um, and, and when things start to go south, you, you say he's, you know, he's not good at this other side. I mean, that's, that was the case for John Beeline forever. It was like Michigan is great at offense, but I, does he know how to coach defense? And then now like people are saying the exact opposite. It's like, wow, John Beeline, he's got this defense working at Michigan, but is their offense good enough? Um, I think that's just kind of – that's like true of almost every team is you're, you're better at one thing than you are the other. Uh, I don't know. I, like for me, like watching IU play, um, th- there, there's there's a whole host of problems with the team right now um, that, that I, I don't know what the, the number one thing would be. But at a certain point, like guys just have to make threes. I mean, like I don't know how else to it's, – it's, it's really hard. I mean, like the injury problems have happened. I – I kind of toe the line back and forth with how much blame Arch deserves because to me, there are a ton of obvious reasons that things have gone poorly. You have injuries, you have suspensions, you have a young team, you have like, let's be honest, some of the pieces that have been left over uh, don't necessarily fit with what Arch is trying to do. Um, scheduling things. I mean like that, that, that stretch of the, the schedule where they're losing a bunch. I mean, I guess we're still in that stretch, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, fortunately road games, like in a row, it, it's great. So there, there are all these reasons, but but what happens is like when you lose one or two in a row, you have a list of reasons. When you start losing seven in a row, those reasons sound a lot like excuses. And um, and so I understand like at a certain point, you know, it, it did sort of look like the guys were giving up. Uh, that was that was concerned. Like the Rutgers game was the one I was like, man, this is tough. This is I, I, I don't really know how to defend this one because they, they were up. They just kind of I don't know. They just look lost at a certain point. And um and that's the kind of stuff that gets frustrating. I think you can pin on the coach, but uh, it's 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 been kind of a season from hell from the sense of of everything you can think that could go wrong has gone wrong, down to even even the guys that are healthy aren't actually healthy. You know, like Romeo's played in every single game, but he's also got his thumb taped up and can't really shoot with it. And uh, John Morgan's played in every game, but he pops his shoulder out the other night, and it's like uh, I don't know. So um, that's that's a that's a cop out way of saying like I understand the frustrations that fans have with Archie, but uh, I've I've always been patient with guys, um, and and I think I have been, not even just with the guys that I know that that I played for and all that. Like I I think like you got to give the guys a little bit of time to to get everything set. And I just think that getting Romeo was almost a curse in a way because uh, just all the hype around him, um, it felt like he was going to be the savior that could step in and basically basically be what like Zion Williamson is for Duke, where it's like just larger than life. I carry the team. Uh, it doesn't matter if anyone else is playing well. I will find a way to win this game for us. And that's just not a fair expectation to have on any kid, much less a freshman. Um, so I feel like that kind of didn't help things either, is that a lot of IU fans, myself included, uh, were were like kind of – we fell into that trap of thinking uh, it doesn't matter the other four that you throw out there with Romeo because we have Romeo and they don't, and that's all we need, which, as it turns out, you might need a little more. Yeah. <laughs> You know, and and the losing has been frustrating. I think what's what's really frustrated IU fans, and you alluded to it when you were talking about the Rutgers game, is at times it has just felt like there isn't any fight, there isn't any toughness. Not that they've given up, but 
that they just don't really have the confidence, you know, that they're going to be able to get through this stretch. And it'll go from a 10-point stretch to, a, you know, 22 to nothing run. And really, you know, probably the two worst games in that were the Michigan game and the Nebraska game at home. For some reason, this team has really struggled at home. When you see a team that's struggling with that, like with focus or effort or confidence or toughness, like whatever, you know, whatever you want to say about it, what accounts for that? Like, is that just something about the individual guys? Is that something about the, yeah. what the coach is emphasizing? Like, what contributes to that? See, it's, it's so hard. It, it, it's, um, again, this is a cop-out, but it is just like a case-by-case thing, man, because it is guys like, like – like, I, I just saw that playing at Ohio State. You just, you, you're playing along some guys who just have that fire, and, and they, they lose a game. They're, you know they're going to be – like, that night after you lose, they're going to be in the gym for another hour putting up shots. Like, they missed this one shot at this pivotal moment of the game. And so they just sit there all night and they're just shooting the shot over and over. And it's like, um, there are guys that are wired that way and there are other guys that aren't. And uh, it, it's easy to kind of pin it on the coach and be like, why is the coach not giving these guys the pep talk that they need? And why is, why is he not preaching how important playing for something bigger than yourself is? Um, and that might be the case too. Like, I mean, I'm not saying Arch is not to blame. It's just from my experience, players are wired so differently that, uh, that there are, there are a lot of guys, like I was, I was wired the other way. Like, I, I mean, I, I built my brand on it. Literally I got the freaking frame shirt about club trill, like about how I was more passive. And I just told the story, like arts would want me to get, get up shots. And I was like, nah, I'm good. I don't, I don't really need all that. I'm just kind of here to, to get a degree and have some fun and graduate, move on to whatever is, is next in life. Um, so it does fall on the player. I mean, it is sort of a, a lead a horse to water situation uh, with some of this stuff, but yeah, I think as a collective, I think it is fair to sort of pin a collective thing on a coach. I think like one or two guys don't really have a fire. I mean, Thad Mata, the guy that I played for that I love dearly and, and still talk to all the time, he kind of ran into these issues uh, at the end of his tenure at Ohio State. Was That was the big complaint was that fans would say, we're fine with losing. It's just how we're losing. It's it's There's no fire from these guys. And they kind of pinned it on Thad. And I mean, I talk to coach about it all the time. And he's like, I'm doing the same things I did when, when John Diebler and Dave Lighty and Evan Turner would, would be in the gym all day, every day working on their games. Like I said the same thing to those guys that I'm saying to these guys. And for some reason, the Lighties and the Turners and the Deeblers took it to heart and were in there working on their game. And these other guys didn't care as much. Um, so is that just a recruiting thing then? Yeah, it might be. It might just be like kind of sensing the personalities of the guys that you're, you're, that might be something you gotta, you gotta pinpoint in recruiting and, and suss that out. And, um, yeah, I, I think there's there's more to it than just saying like I, I think when you're a fan you can you think why can't the coach just just yell at them more and especially you know IU fans especially yeah. with, with with the uh, the night um, persona just lingering always around the Indiana basketball program is like Bobby would just yell at them and then they would play harder and why can't the coach do that now and uh, to that I say there's it's a little more complicated than that but I do understand the sentiment because I feel the same way it's is when the whole collective team is not it feels like they don't care and they're only playing for themselves. Uh, that is very frustrating. I, I do get that part. How much hope do you have for this Indiana team to be able to make something of the rest of the season? Um, I mean, that's always hard to define, right? I mean, that's like the, the problem with Indiana basketball in general is like, what does success look like for Indiana uh, on any given season, right? I think for this year, make, making the NCAA tournament coming in, you know, snapping a two-year drought would have been seen as a success by pretty much everybody. And now, you know, that seems to be slipping uh, yeah. away. I think I think making the tournament would be good. I Honestly, it is. It is. Uh, I, I think just 
having that feeling that they do care is, is a big thing. Uh, but, but yeah, I, I think they could, I, I'm, I'm confident they're going to make the tournament. I think there's too much talent. Um, they're starting to come around. I mean, it, it, I don't think it is uh, just a scapegoat to point to the injuries and the suspensions and all that stuff. I mean, you look at the way the team was, was the, the, the roster that they had available up until like the Michigan state game. I mean, without Devontae Green, who I know is, is can be a headache at times with the way he plays, but the guy can shoot uh, at least and, and can help with three-point shooting, as he did at Michigan State. And then uh, getting Deron Davis back, um, that that was much needed to have like a post presence because that was – I mean, Jawan can go down there, but you don't want him living down there. You want him kind of popping around. You want him to post up and then be versatile and stuff. So to have – like for me watching that Michigan State game, it kind of – everything was falling into line. It's like – this is what this team can look like if you have a post presence who can draw a double team, kick it out to some guys who can actually hit open threes and uh, you move the ball a little bit and, and Romeo's got his mojo going. He doesn't feel like he's got to do too much. Um, I think that like, I still believe that you can pull that together. And, and yeah. And, and another reason that I haven't even touched on, like the big 10 is legitimately a great conference from top to bottom. I think like the days of being, being completely humiliated, uh, losing to Rutgers, it's still humiliating to see it, to see Rutgers score more points than you. But you talk to people around the Big Ten, I mean, they all say the same thing. Like, Rutgers is not – I mean, this was this was something I was pretty – like, when Ohio State Thad's last game, he lost to Rutgers in the Big Ten tournament. And that was, like, the final straw for Ohio State fans. And, and I remember thinking, like, man, Rutgers is not as bad as people think. But at the same time, you can't really say that out loud because, like, as soon as those words exit your mouth, they're like, come on, dude, really? Um, so, yeah, the Big Ten is very good. That doesn't help things. Uh, but But I think that – it does help with the resume in the sense that, uh, you know, having a four and eight big 10 record is, is not necessarily a complete humiliation for this team. I mean, for Indiana, obviously we're shooting for higher things moving forward, but uh, as of right now, I still think that they can make the tournament. That's a realistic expectation. I think would be all things considered, not a bad thing for this team. Like as you close the chapter, it'd be bad for the Romeo era. If he goes pro, and this is all we saw of him was just a, a first round exit. Like you lose him in Dayton in the, in the playing game. That kind of sucks to look back on, on the Romeo career, but um, for what this team has, has been through, I think just making the tournament would, would be a, a good step in the right direction with the recruiting class they have coming in next year and all that and building the way you go. You talked about Romeo and some of the expectations on him, maybe being a little bit unfair. What have you seen from him? Like, has he, been what you thought been better been worse than what you uh, thought how do you how do you kind of assess his season so far been not quite as uh so i didn't really follow him a lot in high school i just heard things uh which is is honestly the better way to do it i think like recruiting is <laughs> more fun to follow that way when you just like hear that i mean it's so funny to hear uh my favorite story of recruiting is like uh uh jabari parker was the greatest recruit since lebron that's all i heard is like dude got jabari parker this guy is lebron 2.0 this is gonna be awesome and then Andrew Wiggins announces that he's reclassifying, and everyone's like, okay, so Jabari Parker's the second best recruit now. Andrew Wiggins is the best. I was like, well, wait, isn't that the guy that's LeBron? Um, it's so much more fun to just have no idea about these guys. So I didn't really follow Romeo that closely, but I heard a lot of stuff. And he's definitely more passive than I thought, but he's still producing. Um, and so it, it has been strange because I think uh, it, it, it's easy to pin it on him, like some of the problems with the team, because he does have sort of a relaxed attitude uh with, with things and goes through the most can throw some lazy passes can make some just kind of lazy plays here and there um so you pin that along with like all the expectations and this idea that he was a savior uh you put that together you look at the record and you're like well it's got to be this guy's fault um 
But I think he's playing. I actually, I, I, I've enjoyed watching him play. I think he's fun to watch. I think he's, he's very, very smooth. Uh, I would love to see him come back, and not even because I'm an IU fan. I, I think that like he could greatly benefit um, if, if his, if his ultimate goal is to be like a great NBA player and hit the ground running when he gets to the NBA. I think like coming back, playing with that great recruiting class, uh, working on his jump shot. I know he's got the thumb thing, but maybe he's not that great of a shooter anyway. Whatever. We get all that sorted out. You get your jumper straight. You're on a good team. You're a sophomore now. Kind of do like a Miles Bridges thing. I know it didn't work out great for Michigan State when Miles Bridges came back, but uh, it worked out great for his NBA career because then this year he's he's killing it as a rookie. Um, I think that that would be awesome. But I, I, I like Romeo a lot. I, I really do. I just think uh, the, the expectations were were kind of irrational, and they always were. Um, he he was. I mean, I don't. I mean, you, you you can you can correct me if I'm wrong. It felt like this guy was the biggest recruit, like maybe of all time in Indiana, just in terms of the hype. Not that he was the best. But it just felt like the way he, he drug out his commitment and uh, and it just kind of – you had the Archie coming in, so it was like this new era, but also Romeo's a five-star and, and we don't know where he's going to go. We really, really need this guy. We, we really need him. And um, and just the way my dad – my dad would go, still goes to all these high school games and he'd tell me just like all the, the, the people going nuts for Romeo and the, the lions out the door waiting to go see him play so they can hold up their candy-striped pants and like, please come to IU. Um, yeah. All that stuff, it felt like I was like, damn, dude, I, I was there when when Eric Gordon was playing and I was in Indianapolis when Eric Gordon and Josh McRoberts and Mike Conley and Greg Oden, like I, I played with all these guys. I don't think they ever got like that. I mean, it was bad, but like it wasn't like that. That's crazy. So um, I mean, it's basically Damon and Romeo, you know, yeah, I mean, that's yeah. and when, when you're mentioned in the same sentence as Damon Bailey and obviously it's two different eras, but that's it's pretty, pretty rarefied air when it comes to high school basketball yeah. in Indiana. Yeah. Um, but no, I I do like Romeo a lot though. He he's been he's been good. He's been about like overall talent. He's been what I expected. I think like the way he's going about producing is not what I expected. Uh, but that's more on me because I was just ignorant to the whole thing. I was just like I was just like reading articles and and buying into the hype because uh, it's more fun that way. It really is. It's more fun to watch his his announcement and just like I don't know. I I actually watch. I I think that's the only. I wouldn't say the only. Maybe it's like one of five high school commitment press conferences I've ever watched live in my life was Romeo and, and he picked that you. And I was, I was just like losing my mind. I was calling my dad, my brother and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> they're like, how good is he? I was like, I don't really know, but they're saying he's great. They're saying he's, he's going to be the savior. This is awesome. <laughs> yeah. You know, one of the things that people have wondered about Archie as, you know, as he transitions from, you know, Dayton now up to coaching in the Big Ten and, and just kind of his style is how he'll be able to coach elite elite talent. Do you yeah. think he'll have an issue with that at all? And have you seen anything with how he's handled Romeo, at least publicly, that would make you say, hmm, like, I wonder. Well, yeah, I think I think the elite talent thing is just managing personalities more than anything. Uh, I don't think like uh, I mean, you the idea that that a player could be too good for a coach to know what to do with i don't think that's going to be a problem it's more of a how do you how do you manage the ego of and i'm not saying romeo has a massive head but uh, at a certain point when you're 18 years old and you've been built as a savior and everywhere you go people are having you sign their babies and all that kind of stuff like it's kind of hard not to think that that you're above everybody and all that so i i think that's the issue is is just managing egos and I mean, I can't really speak to that. Like, I don't like what you don't really know how that looks until it happens. And each guy is different. I mean, 
Um, you know, I, I, I'm really close with Greg Oden and, and he was the most humble, modest, uh, five-star recruit maybe that's ever lived. Like that guy was just never, ever once thought he was good at basketball. It was the weirdest thing. Like you had to convince him that he was better. Like, Greg, you are, you understand. I remember when Greg was, uh, he was entering his freshman year of high school and I asked him, um, uh, whether he thought he was, or, or I said something about like, do you know your schedule yet? Or something like, I was trying to figure out a way I could watch him play. And he said, I remember, I'll never forget this. He, as he was, he was, he's seven foot tall, about to be a freshman in high school at Lawrence North. And he said, oh, well, I don't know if I'm going to be on the JV or the varsity team yet. And I was like, Greg, you're going to be on the varsity. Like, Greg, you realize, like, you could, you're like an eighth grade. You could go pro right now and probably be a lottery pick. Like, you're probably going to be on the varsity team, buddy. Um, and I say that just to, like, like that, that's how Greg was wired. And I think, so when I, when I hear stuff about, like, the elite talent, um, it's, not, it's not so much, you, you know, how can you squeeze every ounce of potential out of this player on the court? For me, it's more of, like, how do you deal with this this era of a new player um, where, you know, it, it, it makes me sound like an old man, but these are real concerns of like the social media stuff. Like these kids are becoming stars a lot faster than uh, let's be frank. Like some of them deserve, if we're being honest, like some of these guys are um, not Romeo, but like a lot of recruits are, are being, they have a sweet mixtape and now all of a sudden they have 400,000 Instagram followers and they're actually like a three-star recruit. That's not that great at basketball. Um, so I think like, that's the real challenge is like, how do you manage the egos? And to that, I don't really, I, that's just something you're gonna have to wait and see whether Arch can figure that out or not. How's Greg doing, by the way, is he still ma- a, a uh, manager he, at Ohio state? Yeah, he's, he's helping out with the team, uh, which, uh, he, he's graduated in the spring. He lives in Dublin, Ohio, which is just a suburb here, um, in Columbus. He's, he's taking classes, graduating. He's, he's married. He's got a little baby girl. Oh, wow. He's 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 figured it out. He's finally like got everything figured out, and I'm I'm really happy for him. Good for him. Yeah, he's 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 very very successful in his life, and um, I think people are shocked to hear that because his basketball career was not what he had planned. But um, and he was you know and he was public with some of the struggles that he's had. So that's that's awesome yeah, to hear. Yeah. He's 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 definitely figured it out. Although he he did tell me uh, for the Super Bowl, a buddy of mine. Uh, and I, we smoked some, some brisket, we made some pulled pork and some ribs and we just did, we did like this big blowout barbecue and invited Greg over and he said he's not coming because he's a vegan now. Oh. So I'm a little worried about that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a little bit worried about that. <laughs> I called me off guard. I was like, Greg, are you all right? Do we need to talk, buddy? <laughs> um, getting back to the current team, what other players on the current team that project to be there next year? So, you know, not Juwan, not Romeo, are you the most excited about? Uh, I think obviously Rob Finnis is the guy for me. Like that is, uh, I I really do think. Uh, I mean, a freshman point. I, I think he's kind of. Uh, I don't know. I got to choose my words carefully. I don't want to say that he's underappreciated, but uh, it's 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 so so hard to be a freshman point guard in college basketball at, at any level of college basketball, much less like high major, much less at a place like IU. And I think he's been great. Um, I, I've, I've really liked what I've seen from him. And I think he's, he, he feels like a guy that's a four-year guy. And that's also very exciting to think that like, he's going to be the starting point guard for the next three years. And, uh, and it, it also helps he's from Lafayette. That's always a, that's always a nice little plus. That, uh, yes. <laughs> best Lafayette recruit of all time. So, um, yeah, I, I think he's got to be the guy for me. That's, that's the one that I'm most excited about. And, 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 and he also adds to like this whole idea of Arch. Like when Arch got hired, I, I remember his press conference just talking about how important it was to recruit the state of Indiana. And uh, obviously everyone at the time thought that was Romeo who he was talking about, but um, getting a guy like Rob Finnessy and, and 
uh, and getting that recruiting class they have next year. Like these are the guys that are actually, I think you, you want to build with guys like Rob Finnessy and then you want to sprinkle in the Romeo Langfords every so often and then hope that the stars align and you make a push when, when that happens. I, th- I think that's the formula for, for winning this is like, don't load up on one, all, on all five-star guys. Don't load up on, or don't try to do it like a, don't handcuff yourself by only doing like a John Beeline move where you like take pride and only getting two-star guys. Don't do that. Either. <laughs> I think like you want to find these guys like Rob Fantasy, make that your foundation, the, the, the Yogi Ferrells of the world. And then uh, every so often get a Cody Zeller and a, a Romeo Langford and guys like that and have them pop in and hope that that one or two years you have them, you can, you can put it all together. Do you think all the talk about needing to close down the borders and focus on in-state, is that overblown or is that as important uh, as it is made to be? Well, perception's reality, right? So like if the fans, if it's important to all the fans, um, I guess it's important. Um, I think like, obviously there are talented players that come from anywhere. I think like part of, part of what Indiana basketball stands for and, and, and IU is certainly the, the last 20 years of IU has been, an identity crisis more than anything and it's just it's just people young and old and what do they want to we want you want to be old school like bob knight but everyone also thinks knight was kind of a dick so it's like how do we have how do we take the knight principles but not the knight attitude um but then we're also want to be new age because like it's kind of upsetting how kentucky is like the team that everyone talks about even though they won one national title like how can i you get to that so there's like sort of this identity crisis going on, but the one thing that seems consistent from like everybody is that just having pride in, in the the name on the front of the jersey. And I think like growing up in Indiana, that is something that that is just instilled in you. It's not necessarily playing for IU. Obviously, I did not go to IU, um, but I still have an immense pride for being from the state of Indiana as a basketball player. That is something that I will always have pride in. I heard last night I was watching Ohio State playing Penn State, and Robbie Hummel was on the call, and he was talking about that. Girl, he's he said playing in the Big Ten is he was doing his nerdy Robbie Hummel, what it, you know, <laughs> as he typically is, uh, just droning on and on. It's like we get it, Robbie, calm down, buddy. But at one point he's talking about play playing in the Big Ten. He's like, I don't care where you grew up playing high school basketball, whether it was here or there, whether you were playing in Indiana, which is really hard to play. Like he kind of made some comment about like how Indiana basketball is a big deal. So um, I think that part of it is important. Like you want guys who understand uh, the just this idea that that there is sort of a mythos to Indiana basketball and, and it's real. Cause again, perception is reality. And if every single person in assembly hall believes that any that the concept of Indiana basketball is elevated above the rest of the country, then you want guys that are buying into that same, that same concept. You, you want a synergy between everyone in the program, the coach, the players, the fans, all of that. I think that's, that's reasonable to expect. So um, I don't, I don't necessarily like a, a great, a great counter to that would be like a guy like Victor Oladipo who is obviously not from Indiana, but he got it, you know, like he got there, he understood yeah. it all. Uh, he still gets it being on the Pacers. He, he um, that's what, that to me is more important than like the geography of where the guy is from. You just want someone who, who understands uh, the magnitude of it all. Al Durham's like that, you know, a guy from Georgia, but, you know, hard worker kind of embodies all of the principles that you want. So it's, you want to get the best players because there's a lot of talent that comes out of the state and then find guys out of state that are talented, but still fit that culture, which, you know, you're right about the identity crisis and that's, Indiana's going to have to solve that. Why, by the way, why did you end up going to Ohio State, not to Indiana? I don't know that I know that story. Was that because of the Uh, relationship with Mike and Greg? Yeah, kind of. Yeah. So, uh, first of all, um, well, so Mike Davis was the coach at IU. Uh, 
at the time. And the reason, so Mike and Greg both wanted to go to IU and excuse me, initially, um, and I've told this story, I think I've told it on the podcast, but I don't remember. I, it's, it's, I know I've told it publicly, so I'm not necessarily breaking news here, but a lot of people will be hearing this for the first time. Uh, so when Mike Davis was recruiting Mike Conley, he got him confused with Sharon Collins and he would send mail from Mike Davis, Mike Davis, the, Mike Conley would get mail from Indiana basketball. It would say, dear Sharon, love, saw that you dropped 40 last night. Good for you. Like we would love to have you in Bloomington. Let's stay in touch. Sign Mike Davis. And he would get these letters made out to Sharon Collins. And uh, so Mike senior, Mike's dad calls Davis and is like, Hey, just FYI, you're sending us Sharon Collins mail. It's probably like a clerical error. Cause Conley Collins, you know, probably like right there on the side, whatever. Like just FYI, you're sending us the wrong mail. So a week goes by and the exact same thing kept happening. And then at that point, Mike senior like stepped in and was like, you can't go to IU. Like, I can't let you play for this guy. If this guy can't even send a letter to the right person, like I'm not going to, you know, and, and so Greg, Greg did get the right mail. This is my understanding. Again, you'd have to ask these guys themselves, but this is what, what's been related to me. I believe Greg got the right mail. Greg really had a great relationship with Mike Davis, liked him a lot, but Mike senior kind of stepped in and was like, Greg, no, we, I can't let you like in good faith, go play for this guy either. And that's kind of the story that I've been told. And then meanwhile, Thad was recruiting them. Thad was a little younger and, and full of energy and a lot of fun. It was before Thad had his uh, uh, foot issues and his back issues and all that. Yeah, so Thad yeah. was like a kind of guy that was just like, you go to these practices and Thad's diving all over loose balls as a player's coach, all that kind of stuff. And, and they fell in love with Coach Mata and, uh, and, and they chose Ohio State. And um, anyway, I, I wanted to go to a big school and uh, um, they – they just kind of convinced Greg convinced me just to come to Ohio state with him. He's like, why don't you just come hang out with me, be my roommate for three years, four years, whatever it was he told me he was going to do. And I was like, I don't think it's going to be that long. <laughs> uh, so that was pretty much it. It's like, I, I didn't, I didn't necessarily want to play basketball in college. Uh, I, I, I didn't like it enough to play it. Like a, I was getting recruited by like Indiana state and UNC Wilmington and places like that. And um, you know, people that choose that path, I don't think I'm better than them as a person or anything like that. It's just for me personally, like I didn't love basketball enough to play at that level. I was like, if I can figure out a way to play at a high major level, I'll do it. But uh, I don't like it enough to play at Indiana state. So I was just going to Ohio state to just be a normal student. And then um, I said the right things and coach Mata liked me and here I am now. You mentioned uh, how coach Mata is like a player's coach. And, you know, one of the things Archie talked about when he was hired was how one of the biggest lessons he learned as a coach was from Thad Mata about the importance of building relationships and getting to know guys personally. Yeah. What, what makes a coach a player's coach? Because typically when you hear that, it kind of brings all this baggage along with it, like you put up with stuff and you're permissive and, right, right. you know, maybe you don't have that strong of a system and you, you know, allow players to freestyle, yada, yada. Like, what do you mean when you say player's coach? I think for me, it's it's understanding that every player is different and has different goals, uh, and and being in tune with those goals, um, and and just kind of uh, knowing knowing that your role as a coach, as much as the boosters might argue otherwise, your goal as a coach, your your number one responsibility. This is how I believe, and I'm sure it's certainly how Coach Mata believes, and, and the way Arch talks seems to be the way he believes too. Um, your number one responsibility is not to win basketball games. Your number one responsibility is not to appease the boosters, to appease your athletic director, anything like that. Your number one responsibility is always to your players and, and getting the most out of them that you can, helping them achieve their goals both on the court and in life. As, as corny as that sounds, like 
uh, a lot of guys do. I mean, I honest to God, like I come from a great, great background. I, I love my dad to death. He's a great dad, uh, did everything right. I still think of like Coach Mata as a father figure. It's not like I had a, a hole in my life as a father figure and then I filled it in with Coach Mata. It's just like that's the role a coach plays uh, for, for players uh, when you have a good relationship like that. So I still think of, of Coach Mata that way. And um, that for me is like what a player's coach is, is just someone who understands that, that, that win or lose, like I'm here for you guys and, and, uh, and, and just kind of embodies that, um, if, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Do you think he'll coach again, Coach Mata? Uh, I'm gonna get in trouble, man. I can't. I oh. can't speculate on that. I speculated it on our podcast, so <laughs> I said. I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna preface it by saying this is speculation. I have not talked to him about it. In fact, when I try to talk to him about it, he just said he just like raises his glass of beer and he's like, "I'm loving life, man." That's all he said. <laughs> he does not want to talk to me about it. Uh, my sense is, just me again. I need to preface it again because I did get in trouble for for something I said on the podcast. I think the Butler job, should it open up, might have his attention, maybe. Mm-hmm. Because he lives right by campus. He loves Butler. He went to Butler. He played at Butler. The idea of him like coaching at Butler would be a cool story. It feels like a perfect level for him. They're obviously a, a, in the Big East, and it's not – I don't mean to degrade Butler, but um, it's not quite to say – you don't have the same expectations at Butler that you would at Ohio State. So uh, that's where I – maybe I think I'm just trying to will that into existence because I think that would be a cool It would be story. a great story. Maybe that's just like what I want. But um, I know that he's still really tight with like Barry Collier. He still goes to all the Butler games. He's, but uh, I made I made these comments on my own podcast, and apparently people took that as me saying that Thad was like scheming behind the scenes to get the Butler <laughs> job. And so he calls me. He's like, "What the hell did you say?" And I was like, "What?" <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm so, just gonna I'm just gonna edit out all of your prefacing, so it just comes yeah, out right. as you. <laughs> right. That is, yeah, or just take the part where I said Thad was scheming behind the scenes. Yeah. <laughs> that is that's not happening at all. He's not he's not mentioned me even one iota that he's interested in that. But uh that's just the sense I get when I'm around him. You know, his wife went to Butler, his his daughter goes to Butler. I think his his other daughter is a senior at, at Perbuff in Indianapolis. I think she might be going to Butler. So they they got a lot of Butler ties and they live by Butler. Just it makes a lot of sense. It does. That, would be, that would be really cool. But I'm not I don't want to speak about Laval Jordan's job, you know. Let him let him figure that out as he wants. Um but should that open up in the next five years or so, that would be cool. But uh, otherwise, that is no, he's in no hurry to get back to it, certainly. So turning our attention to Sunday, we mentioned it earlier, big game for both IU and Ohio State, you know, as both teams try to get out of the bottom half of the conference and, you know, see yeah. if they can work their way into the top half. What do you think are going to be the keys to this game? Oh, man. Um, for Ohio State, Caleb Weston has to stay out of foul trouble. Uh, this is a problem that he's had all year. Um, he's he's like sounds familiar. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, so for me, like the the, the struggles with Ohio State and IU, uh, it, it feels similar because it's coaches in their second years trying to kind of build their own thing. Um, they're both kind of having years that aren't going as great as they expected. Uh, for Ohio State, I really feel like it's a talent problem. And that's almost a tougher pill to swallow because when I watch IU, I'm like, man, these guys can pull together. There's there is a world in which like they start hitting shots and they they get a post presence and um, yeah, it was, not- in, it was in East Lansing. It was beautiful. Yeah, right, it was beautiful. <laughs> right. You're like, you watch that game and you're like, man, they could do this like every night, couldn't they? I think they could. And you start talking about it. Ohio State, man, we just don't have that much talent, and it, it pains me to say because I do love the guys on the team. Um, 
I, I, they're all great guys to root for. I do think they play hard. I think they give it their all. Uh, it's just, I feel like Caleb Weston is the one, if you did like a draft, if you did an expansion draft around with the college basketball or whatever, and teams could draft Ohio state's players to add to their team for the rest of the season. Caleb Weston's the only guy that anyone's looking at. And, um, that's, I mean, we have some other, we have some good, I like Dwayne Washington. He's a good freshman. I love Luther Muhammad. He's, he's, he's going to be great eventually, but, uh, you know, just right now, I think I think we're struggling talent wise, uh, and and that is the problem. So when Caleb Weston, when your best player, like the one guy you can lean on, is is always in foul trouble, is not necessarily in the greatest shape to begin with, and kind of plays an old school brand of basketball, that is not a great recipe for success. And I think that explains like Ohio State struggles more than anything. I've, I, a lot of people were been texting me when we lost five in a row, like what's going on with this team? I was like, I think we're just regressing to the mean, to be honest with you. I think like we kind of had some fool's gold in the non-conference schedule where we, we beat Cincinnati, who I still don't think Cincinnati's that good. Cincinnati's got hot. They're ranked now and all that, but I don't think Cincinnati's that good. We won at Creighton, which at the time felt like a massive win, and it's like, that's nah, all right, you know. So we got, like, pushed up to – I thought we were ranked, like, 15, something like that, which was always kind of preposterous. So um, our only hope of – and I say R. This is the one time I say R, R in reference to – team Indiana is playing um our only hope at Ohio State is that Caleb Weston stays out of foul trouble which unfortunately has not been happening a lot lately hmm. so you know when I was growing up Indiana Ohio State was one of the best rivalries that was back in the days of Calvert Chaney and Jim Jackson it, it was such a great rivalry and it hasn't it just hasn't been the same in a while do you without necessarily needing to compare the two, like, do you have a lot of faith in Archie and Chris Holtman that they're both good fits where they are and that, you know, maybe as, you know, the older coaches in the Big Ten, like Izzo and Beeline, either start to fade or eventually go away, that Indiana and Ohio State will be positioned to get back to kind of where they were when we were growing up? I mean, I, I'm, I'm going to say yes either either way, but I, I genuinely do believe that because um, I think it is it is a cultural thing that you want a coach who understands the culture of the place is at and, I do really believe that Arch understands that. And, and, you know, at a certain point that doesn't win you games. The idea that Archie Miller values in-state recruits more than Tom Crean did doesn't mean that he's going to win more, but uh, I do think he's a better cultural fit. I think he, he, he fits well with uh, it, it, it's hard to hear that right now with IU losing a lot, but I, I do believe that Archie's great for, for IU. Um, and the same is true. Coach Holman, man, like, like Holt was so smart in taking over for dad when he stepped in, like he knew, that the problem wasn't culture at Ohio State. He knew that the the reason that motto was fired had nothing to do with the program that he had built. Um, so a lot of guys will step in and try to gut what they're taking over and, and put their own stamp on things. And, and Coach Holman from the start was like very cognizant of what Thad Mata had built. He's like the first to tell you that Thad shouldn't have been fired. He's like, I, I think Thad got a raw deal. I shouldn't even be here. Like he told me that every time I talked to him, he's like, I shouldn't be here, but I am. So I'm going to do the best job I can. And I hope you support me. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, I kind of feel the same way coach. Like I don't think Thad should have been fired, but since you're here, let's do it. Let's win some games. So um, he kept like everything in place. He kept some of the, like the director of ops, like it, it, it doesn't seem like much, but that stuff goes a long way. Like the same director of ops that that had, the, the same secretary at the basketball offices is still there. The same training staff, the same. Um, he he brought in his own coaches, did some other stuff like that, but uh, he kept like the 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 bones of of the culture of Ohio State basketball the same. And I thought that was very smart because a lot of guys want to come in and kind of say, out with the old, in with the new. And um, 
so with that, I think I think it is just kind of a natural extension of what Thad built that that Ohio State's on the right right path as well. Especially we have a pretty good recruiting class too. I think I think yeah, Ohio State yeah. next year is going to be awesome. Just uh, you're just going to have to wait a year though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hopefully, hopefully this game on Sunday is. Uh... Yeah, when I come on the show next year, we're going to have a lot more fun. I'll put it that way. Yes. <laughs> hopefully a much better game than what this is going to be. Yes. So speaking of fun, you guys went to go on a podcast tour, which is awesome. And I would, uh, and I would love to do some time. And one of your stops was in Bloomington. What was yeah. the experience like kind of just being in Bloomington and getting to hang out with IU fans? Uh, so I got to tell the story. I think um, that the doc itch, uh, this is, yeah. Uh, so, so, <laughs> so first of all to answer your question it was a ton of fun like it was awesome anytime i i said i i always say that iu is the college that i went to high school at um my brother went to iu <laughs> older than me i when i was growing up in high school i went to bloomington all the time uh um it, it was it was it's all anytime i go to bloomington it, it really does feel like a homecoming for me even though i didn't go to to indiana for for college um so going back there was awesome. I got to take Tate to Knicks. We played Sink the Biz. He's like, what are we doing? He's like, doesn't everybody get strep throat playing this game? And I was like, yeah, that's part of the charm. Just stick your <laughs> hand in here and, and chug the beer, man. That's Tate, Tate is your is your co-host on One Shining Podcast. Yeah. I, so I, I took them there. Um, we went to – where else did we go? We went to, to Kilroy's, and we got pepperoni sticks, and they loved that. Um, so we, I tried to show them, like, the, the local flavor of all that. Um, yeah. It was a good time, but I, I have to tell the docket story, I think. That that Dockich was. I reached out to Dan to to be our guest for the live show. He said he would do it. Uh, I I know Dan a little bit. Um, I I know Andrew's on staff at, at Ohio State. Uh, I, mm -hmm. I have nothing. I had nothing but love. I, I guess I should make a past tense. I had nothing but love for Dan um, for for the longest time. Like I felt like I was like the one guy who's younger than forty that actually loved Dan Dockich. So I asked him to come on and like, I could have asked, I mean, I could have asked Arch to be honest with you. I could have had the head coach of, of Indiana come and, and I wanted Dockage cause I thought it'd be fun. And I thought, I thought we could make him likable in a weird way. Like I have a big enough ego to think that like I could take a guy like him, have him come on our show. We kind of bust each other's balls. People that are at the show are like, Oh, I hated Dockage, but actually he seemed kind of fun there. So and maybe he could win some fans over. Uh, the night before we were doing a show in Louisville and um, we get done with the show. We're going out in Louisville with some of the people we know that were, that were with us at the show and, and, and just out having drinks, whatever. At like 1145, I get a text from Dockage that says, apologies. This is word for word what it said. Apologies, but I must cancel. And this is 1145 PM the night before the show in Bloomington. So I'm like, I'm like, what? And I, and I said something like, uh, he didn't give me a reason. Didn't, didn't mention anything. Didn't give me a, no reason apologies but i must cancel and i was like at 11 45 on a saturday you're texting me okay um but i i just wrote back i was like no worries man uh would have been a fun time but i get it that's how these things work sometimes so we go out and do uh i started thinking like man something must have happened like maybe you had a family emergency i reached out to andrea i was like hey what's going on with your with your family like is, is your dad all right i'm you know i just want to make sure everything's cool don't hear anything back um so I thought something serious had happened. And then the next day, the day of our show in Bloomington, uh, I'm on Twitter and Dockage is just like getting in fights with people on Twitter about Brett Kavanaugh. <laughs> <laughs> he's just tweeting like one after another. And he's like, he's like taking articles of like, and he's putting his little commentary. And he's like, I don't know. Th this is pretty interesting. What Brett Kavanaugh said here. Like what, I don't, it, whatever it was, it doesn't matter, but he's, he's just tweeting on and on about Brett Kavanaugh. It's like, huh? 
I wonder what's going like what I just I didn't really say anything. so uh we go to the show that night um and and we had we had billed the show as Dockage was coming we had told we had promoted it we had said Dan Dockage is going to be our special guest uh so we we introduced Dockage he does not come out obviously because he wasn't there the crowd's looking around confused and then we flash his text to me on the screen behind us and everyone's like just starts laughing and then I tell them the story and then I said uh by a round of applause, um, how many people in here are okay with Dan Dockich not being at the show tonight? And it was the loudest cheer we got on the entire tour. <laughs> the place are run, there's <laughs> So uh, we ended up doing the show by ourselves, um, which it was fine. We just we we made Bob Knight jokes all night, just talked about IU. And, you know, we we had a, we it was a, it was a really fun time, uh, but it worked out well. And then. Um, Apparently, people in the audience were tweeting at Dockage as we were doing the show, and my phone starts blowing up. Like I'm on stage, like talking to my phone. I'm looking at my phone. It's like Dockage is texting me and tweeting at me and all that stuff. And then he said that uh, his reasoning was that um, so when he gets called out for like ditching us on the show, he said his reasoning was that he had a a death that he had to tend to, um, and and so I don't know what's like, I don't know what's worse, like lying that someone died close to you that you had to tend to their death or whatever and and you chose to to lie about that to get yourself out of this bad situation that makes you look bad or maybe maybe that is true maybe he really did have a death that he had to tend to but it might be worse that like as he was tending to this death he tweeted like 47 times about brett kavanaugh with strangers on the internet you know what i mean like i don't know which one's worse lie the lie or the truth like i, I don't know how he comes up but that's pretty much the story it was a uh that was our indian experience and um needless to say Dockage and I have not talked since, and um, yeah. I'm sure he's okay with that. And I'm sure he'll listen to this podcast. He will tweet about me and make himself a victim. And uh, all of hey, that. he's he's made it quite clear he doesn't listen to this podcast. So. Yeah, Dan, listen, <laughs> someone's going to tweet this at you. I heard what Titus. Did you hear what Titus said about you? I liked you, Dan. I always did. I thought we had something. You screwed me. You screwed me, man. That's all I would really say. To you. See, you, you, the biggest. It was a huge show for us. It was a big deal for us. I could have asked. So I could have, there's so many former IU players I could have asked to still live in Bloomington. There's so many, I could have asked the coaches. I could have asked Thad Mata to come down from Indy. And I chose you, Dan. You were the one. I wanted you at the show and you did that to me. So, but, but I, I do, I do pray for the death you had to tend to. That sounds tough. Um, hope, thoughts and prayers for that. <laughs> yeah, the mysterious death that you didn't, you never brought it up again after that. You never mentioned who this person was in your life that passed away. Um, and you were tweeting about Brett Kavanaugh, so it sounds like it was really, really close to you. And <laughs> I'm sorry to hear that. Um, on on that trip, so Tate, you know, your co-host, he's a yeah. North Carolina guy, a big North Carolina fan. Was that his first time to Bloomington? And what was kind of the thing about Bloomington, you know, for uh, someone who hasn't been there, that stood out so to him? He's got sour grapes. One about uh, about eighty one. Um, he wasn't even alive. I mean, for God's sakes, I wasn't even alive. Like, but uh, he's got sour grapes about 81 because his parents talk to him about it all the time in 84 for the, the Dockage. Uh, he, he was like, he actually doesn't like Dockage, I don't think, because he, he, he grows up a Carolina fan. Every time he watches Dan Dockage on a broadcast, it's like talking about shutting down Jordan. He's, you know, he's growing up listening to that, getting upset. Yeah. So he always, he always had like an aversion to, to, um, to IU for that. But I also, he also remembered that Bob Knight, like very early on said Michael Jordan is like the greatest player he's ever seen. Like in, you know, the, what was it? The eight, the Olympics in 84, 84. Yeah. When he was coaching Jordan in 84, Knight said something at a press conference. 
So Tate, Tate remembers all this. Like Tate, no one holds a grudge like Tate does. He, he, he makes, he keeps his tallies of like who's saying good things about Carolina and who's not. So, um, he, uh, he, he loved it though, man. He, he, he really liked assembly hall. I kind of, I kind of hyped it up to him as, as best I could. Uh, the Dean dome is not as good of a, of a, an arena as it should be. So I think like, see, we, we got to walk around assembly hall a little bit. He loved that. Um, we didn't pick a great time to come to campus. I told him to come back in the spring. That's, that's really the time to be there. But, uh, we were there in November, but it wasn't too bad. But yeah, he, he really enjoyed it, and uh, we 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 actually drove on the tour. So he flew into Columbus, and then we drove from Columbus to Louisville to Bloomington, and then up to Chicago. And uh, we got through going from Louisville to Bloomington. We go. We got a lot of a lot of uh, barnyard uh, baskets on the barns and baskets in the driveway and all that kind of stuff. And I, I, there was one that I made him pull over and take a picture because I we were driving. And I was like, dude, pull over. I gotta get a picture of that. And send it to my mom. She'll love that. And it was just like a. It looked like a scene out of Hoosiers. This is like a on a barn, a, a basket affixed to a barn, and and it looked like it was put up there in 1946. And um, he loved all that. So he, he's very much he very much buys into the, uh, the the mystique of Indiana basketball for sure. Yeah, that's cool. One thing you know, you have a unique perspective in that you know you built an audience as a blogger, but yet at the same time you were kind of inside a program. You know, not playing a ton, obviously, but inside a program, seeing the inner workings of a program. And, you know, one of the big things that's changed about sports coverage, especially college basketball coverage, is the ability for people, you know, to start a blog and build an audience and, you know, be able to have some kind of influence with that audience. Like, you know, us starting this show eight years ago, you know, we played in high school, but never actually played in college. I'm curious from your perspective, when you see, you know, people like us or others who are, you know, bloggers that haven't necessarily played and you have the perspective of having played like do you you know kind of discount those opinions are you initially skeptical or how do you kind of balance that yeah i i, I toe the line man if i'm if i'm around bloggers that never played i get a flex the i played card and then when i'm around guys who played it's like well i'm smarter than you because i'm in journalism now <laughs> <laughs> just any way i could be superior to the people i'm talking to is, is is how i handle it no man i think for college basketball for me it's like I, I, first of all, like, I don't think I'm that much more qualified than anyone else. Like I, I, it's, it is true that I was, I was on a final four team. People forget that. Uh, they should talk about it more. I'm not sure why they don't, but um, I was, you know, like I got to see the inner workings of how this stuff works. I got to see, uh, I, I have some sort of experience, but it's not like I'm that much of a better player than anybody. It's not like, you know, it's not like you can, it's not like people should come to me and ask me what it's like to be Zion Williamson and have all this pressure on you to be the number. It's like, I don't know. Dude. Like what? <laughs> Just cause I was, you know, I wore a Jersey on the end of a bench for four years. Like, I don't know what that's like. Um, so maybe I, the better way to, to ask my question would have been, what do people like us miss the most? Do you think like, what do we uh, not know or not understand enough? I think, I think kind of what we were talking about earlier is just how, how different every guy is wired. Um, and with that, it, it, the, the other thing is just sort of the, the, the day-to-day of being a college athlete. I mean, think about like when you were in college, just, and I'm talking to you, but also the audience, uh, everyone listening, if, if you, if you're old enough and you graduate college, think about like when you were in college, just your day-to-day emotions of how you felt of like, you wake up on a Tuesday morning and you just kind of like, don't feel good. And you're just like, I just kind of want to skip class today. I just don't really feel like these are all true of the guys on the team as well. Like they have good days. They have bad days. Their girlfriend dumped them. Um, they got a bad grade in class and the ones that care about that, you know, that weighs on their mind. Like something's going on with their family, their uncle, 
got sick and like that really that's the first like illness they've had to deal with with their family all this stuff happens and uh um i think that's the thing that gets overlooked is like you'd be surprised at how many like bad shooting nights can be blamed on some guy's aunt just got diagnosed with cancer and he's like rattled by that because he's like a young guy that's never really had that kind of adversity in his life before um like that sort of stuff does have an impact and i think like it, it's not to say that like pro basketball players aren't human as well it's just that they're pros they've done it they, they know how to like kind of turn it on and still play and bring the juice every night and some of these guys uh, uh that 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 is one thing i would say that like being in the locker room and witnessing that firsthand of seeing guys who usually have a ton of energy and they come in and they're down and, and your teammate has to pick you up and um, all that sort of stuff those are the things that i would say that uh that get lost sometimes with with that and, and I try to I try my best to be cognizant of that when like I'm criticizing guys and I try not to grill guys too much for going through shooting slumps and and all that kind of stuff but you know there, there's another like the old school way of thinking would be like I mean you just kind of have to suck it up and play and, and and deal with it and I guess there's value in that as well of like the best way to overcome adversity is just quote unquote man up and a lot of people that's like an outdated way of looking at the world but uh Maybe maybe that's a valid point, but um, I don't know. That 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 would that would be one thing. Is 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 that? Hmm. That's so. No, that's uh. I mean, that's a great point, and always useful to remember. I mean, I know for us, like our thing is always we don't want to say anything on the show that we wouldn't say to somebody's face. You know, because right. it's yeah. it's a little different if you have to go face people as a media member every day, and it's easy to kind of throw stuff out. But that that's an important one to remember too. You know, yeah, I mean, I'm it's, not saying like like if a guy's going over twelve in a game, I'm not saying he should be immune to criticism because something might have happened in his life or whatever. Because you know that that you should still be able to criticize him. It's just um, it's it's just the nuance of it. You know, it's not like just saying this guy's trash isn't necessarily a productive way of <laughs> no <laughs> of handling that situation when uh uh yeah th- there might be more to it than that um is is all i'd say and, and and maybe maybe there's nothing you actually do with that information but like sometimes it's just nice to know that there's more to it than that like maybe like you should still maybe criticize the guy just as you would uh without the extenuating circumstances but it's still just like nice to know oh okay so that's why this guy you know, this guy had the flu for, for three weeks and that's why he sucked for those three weeks. That makes sense now. Um, that, that sort of stuff is, uh, that happens a lot more in college basketball than I think the average fan would realize is, is things can impact a player's headspace and how he plays a lot, lot easier than you would realize. What kind of stuff can fans do that you think would actually make a difference to a team? Like, if a fan like wrote a handwritten note to a coach or to a player or like, does that stuff matter? Do people read oh, that yeah. stuff? Yeah. I think, I think supporting guys when, uh, when you're not winning is the big thing. Um, because I, I think if, if you as a fan want the guys to, to play for something bigger than themselves, I think you have a responsibility, not necessarily to reach out to them personally, but to understand that college sports, part of the deal is that, it's not about wins and losses always. And that sounds absurd to say, especially in the modern climate of college sports. Um, But you kind of have to hold yourself accountable as a fan and say like, if I'm expecting Romeo Langford to care about more than his draft stock in his one year at IU, then I have to care about, then I need to care about Romeo Langford personally. And instead of saying like, Romeo, give me wins. I need wins as a fan. um, It has to be a two way street where it's like, I, I like I'm cheering for you, man. Like, what can we do to support you? Like, we're, we've lost a lot of games, but uh, 
I love the way you play. Like, I always support you guys. That's not to say you're not frustrated or whatever, but I think, like, that's the one thing I would say is, like, sort of that, – that, that to me would be holding yourself accountable as a fan is, is just if you're going to demand something of a player and, – and I'm not calling out individual fans. I'm just saying as, like, a collective fan base, you want this certain thing out of a player. Well, the easiest way to get that is to, to provide that yourself where you show the players and the coaches that, yes, you do want to win. Winning is very fun. Winning is very important, especially at a place like Indiana. Um, but you also understand that there's more to it than that and that, uh, that, that you know, guy, guys like, like Victor Oladipo, who never made it past the Sweet 16 in a lot of ways, is like a, a bigger hero than if, if some turd comes into IU and people don't really like him and then they go on a run and win the national championship. It's like, I don't know, man. I kind of like Oladipo more. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, like, you want – yeah. I think, like, having that attitude and, and holding yourself accountable that way would be my – my thing um but yeah i mean for sure like the guys would love to get letters from fans especially especially if you have good things to say and especially the not if it's not about basketball that 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 is sort of underrated too i think like if someone wrote romeo langford a letter and just said like i love the ambassador that you are in this community and the the things that you've done and, and i don't know specifics i don't know if romeo is um whatever but like if romeo reads to reads a book to a kindergarten class or something like writing him a letter and be like man that's awesome that would mean a lot to him. I don't know the kid. I've never met Romeo in my life. I guarantee you as a human being, he would read that and be like, Oh, so I am more than a basketball player to these people. This is cool. Uh, that stuff matters for sure. Yeah, that's great. Well, we were, we're past an hour. I want to be respectful of your time. Do you have time for one more question before we, yeah, sure, before yeah, we hop out? Sure. The last question I wanted to ask you is just about your, like your IU memories. Like what, what are your favorite IU basketball memories from growing up and who's your favorite player? You know what's funny is uh, my parents moved houses. They moved. They live on the west side of Indianapolis, and they just they just downsized uh, way too late. Like the, my young my sister's the youngest. She's been out of the house for a while, but they just now decided to downsize recently. And they were cleaning out their house, and they found a thing in my bedroom that was my box of souvenirs. And in my box of souvenirs was a lot of garbage, just a lot of stuff that they they gave it to me. I I, I looked at it. I just started laughing. I threw like most of it out, but I was picking through pieces. I saved two tickets that was in this box of souvenirs from my childhood. One ticket was a matinee showing of Space Jam in 1996 for $4.75. <laughs> I saved the ticket to that. The other ticket that I had saved was uh, when I went to Lexington for the, the IU Duke game in 02. Oh, and man. I, I have the ticket. I, I even threw away, even as I was looking at it, I threw away the Space Jam ticket, but I, I still have the uh, – I could actually go get it probably if you – if you called me out on it. Um, but I, I have that ticket. That is my number one memory. It is the game. I will always talk about as an IU fan. Like it, I was, I, not only was it like the most improbable win, like that might honestly be, I can't tell if this is shtick or not. That might be the biggest upset in NCAA tournament history. As more time passes, that game becomes more unbelievable to me. It just like everything about it. You look at Duke's roster, like IU did not play well at all. They were like four for 23 from the three point line or something. They had like 23 um, turnovers that game. I, I think. think. Yeah. Whatever, like they couldn't hit three. I don't think they shot 23 threes. This was back in the two, so they probably weren't jacking it that much. But uh, yeah, they couldn't, they weren't shooting it well. They were turning it over like crazy. Duke had six NBA players on the roster. They were defending national champions. They they got national player of the year, Jay Williams, on the team. It's like, I have no idea how they won that game. No idea. It was Jared Jeffries and a bunch of white dudes, and they beat him. Um, so not only was it that, but it was like, I was of the right age, man. I was, I was in eighth grade when that happened. And like, that is, that's the time. time that is the time of like this is the most important thing in the world um i was on spring break and so like that whole i, I don't know man so that that is my number one memory is going to lexington driving down there thinking like i almost don't want to come because this is 
we're going to lose by 30 and it's like such a waste of time. And, um, and I went with a friend who's a Duke fan, actually. He's a guy I went to school with he an eighth grade buddy. His parents took us and he was a Duke fan. And we were, I think we were sitting in the Duke section. I was obviously cheering for IU and he was cheering for Duke. And Oh my God, that was the most satisfying thing ever. Uh, so with that, to answer your other question, AJ Moya is probably my favorite player. Yeah. <laughs> I would imagine so. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, AJ Moye is up there. Kirk Hastings up there. AJ Guyton's up there. Um, yeah, Tom Coverdale. Like pretty much anyone on the O2 team. Any- I, found out, I found out recently that Fife listens to our pod, and it has me. Does so he? Sh- like it's like it's. It, I have like this "Don't meet your heroes" thing because like I really want to interview him because I could talk to him about the O2 team and just I could talk to him about the Duke game itself for like five hours probably. Yeah. Um, but I also don't want to meet him because like. I'm going to find out he's just like an average dude. He's just like a regular guy. And I don't want him to be a regular guy. I want him to be, <laughs> I want him to be the guy that almost blew the game by fouling Jay Williams at the end of the game. <laughs> but then we won and saved the day. So, um, yeah, but I found out he listens to the pot. So I'm, I'm sure I'm going to talk to him at some point about that. And I'll have him on the show and we'll, uh, we'll break all that down. Cause that is, that is without a doubt my favorite memory, but um, there are a lot of them. I, I, I do have a lot of memories, but that one is, is clearly number one. Are there a lot of coaches and players who listen that you know listen to your mm-hmm. show? Uh, yeah, there actually are. Uh, not to not to like, it, it's weird because I never expect any of them to listen. So uh, I'm always shocked. There's not a single one that I'm not shocked by, including like the Ohio State coaches that will sometimes text me something. Um, so I don't I don't know. Some of them I think I think a lot of them just pop in and out because I I've noticed that like. When I find out guys listen to the show, I'll say something about them on the next episode, and then they never hit me back about what I say about them. So yeah, <laughs> I listen to one episode of Hunters of them. But yeah, there there are a lot of guys. Uh, that's definitely the weirdest part because I don't want to change like how we talk about them, but at the same time, uh, I do sort of want to lean into guys listening to the show. So it's it's weird. I don't I don't want to like pull back because I know that Brad Davidson listens to our show. We just had him on the show. Um, and then he plays really dirty and it's like, crap, you know, like if I didn't know this kid, I'd be grilling him and making jokes about him. But now it's like, man, yeah. so uh, that kind of sucks sometimes, but, uh, it's all right. We're doing the best we can. Well, the show is great. I've recommended it many times. I continue to recommend everybody listen to one shining podcast and, uh, thanks for taking the time. This was, uh, this was great. We always yeah. enjoy having you on the show. I'm always happy to do it. Um, I, I'm hoping actually, in fact, here, I need to, uh, I have my assembly call coaster that you sent me from last nice. time. Nice. <laughs> Very cool. I did not stage this. This is here on my desk at all times. I use it on my coaster. Um, but no, I hope, uh, I hope, I hope the game is a good Sunday. I hope both teams put forth a very tournament worthy. I hope like it's a tie in a weird way, but like, I, I hope the NCAA selection committee is watching and they just come away and there's like, damn, those are two tournament teams. If I remember. <laughs> and then Ohio State still wins. But at the same time, everybody is happy and we both make the tournament so that that would be the dream <laughs> that would be the dream well cool man uh good luck with the with the show and with everything and look forward to talking with you again soon all right thanks man thank you for being here and for listening to this episode of the assembly call we appreciate it and we really do rely on the support of audience members like you to keep our show going and to keep growing And so we have set up a page on our website at assemblycall.com slash support that lists five ways that you can support the assembly call. And we encourage you to choose whichever method is the easiest and most convenient for you. One of the methods is donating. And so many of you have donated and we appreciate it so much. 
On that page, you can choose a monthly recurring donation or an annual recurring donation or just a one-time donation, whatever works for you. And if you don't want to donate, another way to support the show is you can use our affiliate URLs, iutickets.shop or iustore.shop when you're going to shop for tickets or gear, and we will get paid a small commission when you use those links. But however you support the show, we appreciate it. Thank you. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. Tonight's Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Whew. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player client. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. Tonight's Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Whew. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player client. Some people just know bundling with Allstate means big savings. Just like they know the right ingredient means big flavor. They know honey on pizza is where it's at. And olive oil on ice cream is the cherry on top. And they know when you bundle home and auto with Allstate, you can save up to 25%. Mm -mm. Bundled savings vary by state and are not available in every state. Saving up to 25% is the countrywide average of the maximum available savings off the home policy. Allstate Vehicle and Property Insurance Company and Affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois.